Maybe if we had a little bit of rain today instead of this bright sun, but we want, we, we want the snow to melt. I'm, I know I'm a born and bred New Englander, and I'm tapping out like a wrestler saying, enough, God, enough. All right, so today, like I said, we are going to be talking about love. It is the new commandment, and we are going to turn to John chapter 13, and this is where, oh, there we are, this is where we are going to be Going, it's going to be 13 verses 31 to 38. Now this is part of the Passion Week narrative. This is what it says. And when he, that's Judas, the betrayer, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. <clears throat> Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, saying, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, these are the major events leading up to the crucifixion. It is part of what we call the Passion Week narrative. And if we were to really just focus on the Passion Week, which is the time from the triumphal entry to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we could fill up two or three months' worth of sermons because there is just so much in the four Gospels, maybe even more. In fact, some churches have in the past just finished Christmas and gone right into the Passion narrative because that's just how busy this week is. <coughs> this portion has one of the most famous quotes in the Bible, one of the most famous commands, love one another. It is a sign that we are the true children of God. It is something that we struggle with, that we see the apostles struggle with. And throughout cultures, people identify us because they know that we are to love one another and that we are to love others as ourselves. 
It is a way of identifying us. It's like a sports team's uniform. Like you put on that, that uniform if you're playing for your high school or college or if you're lucky enough to go to a pro team. You wear those colors proudly. It's like a doctor that wears a white jacket. It's a sign of something that he is. This is what loving one another is. It's that outward symbol to show that we are followers of Christ. Now there's three things I want you to see loving others does. First, we're going to look. This is what glorifying, all right? Jesus is talking about, and he says glorify. This is key to these three points. Glorifying means to influence one's opinion about another. So as to enhance the latest reputation or to cause to have splendid greatness. And it's that first one to influence one's opinion about another as to enhance the latest reputation. That's going back to us being ambassadors of Christ. It's us to being representatives of God the Father. It's us representing the kingdom of God. We are to bring glory to God by what we do outwardly to others that will make them say, truly there's a God. There has to be a God because I don't know how this person could love me in this way with everything I've done. So the three thoughts for today. Loving others brings glory to God. Now we go back into the verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Now, how does the Son of Man, how does Jesus get glorified, and how does he bring glory to God through this? We have to remember that the cross teaches important lessons about God the Son and how loving others brings glory to our Heavenly Father. At this point, when it says, and he had gone, when he had gone, that's Judas. Now, to back up a little bit, they're at the Last Supper, they're eating, and Jesus tells them, one of you is going to betray me. Now, these are 12 men that he has spent his life, he has spent a lot of time and energy in. He has loved on them, they love him. He has given them power. When Jesus sat there and he sent them out twice for two weeks to go and do the ministry, like it wasn't just like, follow me, and then he left and he let them do it. He gave them the practice times. So for two weeks, on two separate occasions, so for four weeks, Judas had power given to him by God in which he was able to heal the sick in which he was able to raise the dead, in which he was able to perform all sorts of miracles. In fact, when you read that narrative, they all come back and they're like, Jesus, this is what we were doing. This is what we were... They are so happy. They are so excited. They are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what I was able to do. But at this time, because again... Jesus wasn't the Messiah people were looking for. And Judas thought Jesus should have been this warrior type. Kind of like David. He went and he went to the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish leaders at the time. And he agreed to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. 
And so what ends up happening is Jesus is sitting there and he tells them, one of you is going to betray me. And they all begin, who, who? You know, they can't get this. The, the 11 that are there cannot understand what is going on. Because how could somebody betray him when they have been given power, when they have been just loved on by the Son of God, by God himself in the flesh? And what ends up happening is Jesus says, one of you, it's the one that's going to dip with me. In other words, what they would do is they would take bread, the, 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 like the pita bread, and they would rip it and they had this vinaigrette type dipping sauce that they would dip and eat. And Jesus does this, and as he goes to put it in, Judas is the one that goes. It tells us in the narrative, Judas goes and they both dip at the same time. And Jesus turns to him and says, now go and do what you must. And the eleven are stunned. You can just imagine them, like, wondering what is going on. And Jesus turns around, and he sits there. And he has to comfort them. But in being glorified, he's showing that even the rejection is not going to stop him from loving. He is being rejected by one of the 12 men that has been one of his closest friends for the last three, three and a half years. But Jesus has been building up that time. He has been rejected by his own town. He has been rejected by his own family at this point. And what happens is he still is willing to die for the penalty of their sins and our sins. And because of that, this is where the glory is coming to God and coming to him. He freed us from the power of sin. He is willing to obey God the Father's will to die on the cross and pay our penalty as an act of love which will open the bridge and gap the, the chasm between us and God. The other thing that the cross will do is it demonstrates God's justice. In Romans 6.23, we read the following. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, at that time, up until that time, Sin was just rampant. The reason why Judas is betraying Jesus is sin. He's greedy. He's known as the thief of the twelve. And what happened was, when the first Adam, Adam and Eve, when the first Adam came in, he brought sin into the world by breaking the one command God had given him, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what ends up happening is, the second Adam, Jesus, is willing to take our sins. This is what Dr. John MacArthur says about it. Never did God so clearly manifest his holy hatred for sin than in suffering the death of his son. The father loves the son with an infinite love. Yet when Jesus became a curse for believers... On the cross, the Father, whose eyes are too pure to approve evil and cannot look on wickedness with favor, 
turned away from him. That caused Jesus to cry out in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then we also read, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that, that tells us the love of God. But the holiness of God, the cross explains the holiness of God. When we go back here and we see that it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not saying that God could not look upon those with sin. God had fellowship with Moses. He had fellowship with Abraham. He had fellowship with Adam. He had fellowship with Noah. He talked to these people. He met them face to face. But what happens is, Jesus is up on the cross and he is taking on all the sins for all time. From the beginning of the world to the end of the world. Our sins, the sins of our fathers, the sins of our ancestors, the sins of our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and our descendants down the road. All this sin is coming on to Jesus, on to God the Son. And as he is sitting there, he is taking on the sin. He is being the perfect sacrifice. He is being a sacrifice of love. For us, he's being a sacrifice of love that God the Father has initiated. And as he sits there and he takes all the sin, finally, God, who is holy, who is separated, who is perfect and good, cannot look at it. And so the Bible tells us that what happened on that cross was it got dark. And you could hear the thunder roaring. And Jesus knew at that moment that God the Father couldn't look upon him anymore. And it broke the son's heart even further. But he still did it out of love. And when we get to this portion, it shows us that the cross demonstrates God's love. Because God, the son, is taking on all those sins. And God the Father, even though he cannot look at the son, even though he cannot stand to see what is becoming of his only begotten. He knows that it has to be done because he loves the world and he wants all of us to go into eternity with him. He does not want to be separated from us. This is what God the Father is initiating. This is something that media loves to do. Whether you're watching Star Wars and you see Obi-Wan Kenobi... As he's fighting Darth Vader, he looks over and he sees Luke. And he knows that he must sacrifice his life in order for plans to be fulfilled. Gandalf, in the Fellowship of the Ring, he sacrifices his life so that the other eight can go on to their mission to save the world. Neo, in the Matrix, knows that he must sacrifice his life to save humanity from the computers that are running. And even... Charles Dickens, another man who followed God, he wrote in his book, great book, A Tale of Two Cities, he writes how Sidney Carlton is able to give up his life for Charles Denet, a man who looks almost exactly like him. It's something that media, stories, books, TV, movies, 
has always had this way of following when it comes to giving up one's life sacrificially. It shows that God's message is eternal. And that if we look, we can always see little bits of it somewhere in the world. The second point I want to make is loving others requires new life. Now, please note, when Jesus is talking to the apostles, as he is sitting there telling them that he must go away, this isn't just his death. This is also that he is, he is going to go back to heaven. And notice what he says there. He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me and just as I say to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And he says that with this love and tenderness. When he says little children, he is pointing out just where the apostles are in their walk with him. And that they still haven't quite grasped that, but that they will. But then he tells them the ultimate command. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And then he goes on to say, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One of the things that happens in churches these days, that the world looks, because the world, like I said, this is one of the most famous verses. The most famous verse is John 3.16, but one of the most famous verses, one of the most famous thoughts that's out there about the church is love one another. And the world, the world looks at us, and they judge us by this. And they can see that we become hypocrites when we don't love one another. We hold on to grudges or talk behind people's backs. We have to remember that a life fully committed to Christ says, because he loved you, so will I love you. There's an intensity in this commandment. It's something that we have to realize. It is something that we need to understand. Donald Carlson, Donald Carlson puts it this way. The new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate. Profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poor they comprehend it and put it into practice. It actually is a... Is a new way of saying an old commandment that Christ God gave to the Israelites. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's in Leviticus 19.18. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. The impact of this 
If we lived this out in the world, could you imagine what it would be like? See, that's, that's what's happened is we as the church, we don't always live this out. We want to live this out. And that's kind of where Jesus goes when, he, when he's talking to Peter and he's like, really, Peter, are you, are you sure you would do this? It is a challenge for us to grow. There's a challenge for us to go ahead and do this, to live out this command. If we were to follow outwardly and live a life that really was showing the love of God to a hurt world, if we say that the church is a hospital for the hurting world, then we need to love just one of, is just our love for one another is one of the many medicines God gives us to heal that world. Those who've shut themselves to the church are because we are the ones who have not lived this commandment. In other words, we sit there and we say we love, but then people come into the church and they hear us talk about this person or that person who used to be in the church, or they hear us talk about somebody else and they say, there's no love. They're hypocrites. They're talking about people. They're hurting me more. It's something that we have to realize. We cannot hold on to grudges. We need to love and forget. We need to pray for those that have hurt us. That's what Jesus does on the cross. When he's up there on the cross, he, what does he say to the people? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. These Roman soldiers that have nailed him to the cross, they have taken a crown of thorns, they have jammed it on his head, and he's bleeding out for us. And here is God the Son, God the Savior. And he turns and he looks up to heaven, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Because he knows that this is the beginning of that bridge, the beginning of that healing, the beginning of everything that God has put into motion. He puts back and he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How many churches have ruined their reputation for not living this out? Because of all the infighting that there is. Because of the way they view the church down the street or the community or anything else. Now I'm not just saying it's, it's this church. I'm saying it's all churches. There are many churches that do this. All across this nation, all across the world. And that's why a lot of people have lost faith in God. That's why they don't want to go to church, because they view us as hypocritical. If we live our church life like we live our home life, then people will know and see through the disguise that we put on on Sundays. And that leads to point three. Loving others involves a realistic assessment of our own strength. And this is what those last few verses are when Jesus is talking with Peter. 
See, there was a there was a old hymn many years ago. It's not as old as I thought it was. I I looked it up. But it's to remind us. It's to remind us actually of this point. They will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This hymn was written based on this verse. It was written by a Peter Schulteis. And it says, We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. You see, that's what's gone on. We don't live our lives all the time with love. We have to be constantly showing the love of Christ. Even when life has got us down and digging us hard. When, when the boss is making us so angry we want to yell at them. We have to still remember that we are representing Christ. And if we don't have the strength, we need to pray for that strength. See, Peter, Peter is known for shooting from the hip. And this is what he says. He's like, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay my life down for you. This is the same man who, in mere hours later, is going to see them bind Jesus. And Jesus is going to tell him, put away your sword. And he's still going to take this sword out and lop off an ear of one of these men. Because he shoots from the hip. He's, he's, he's known as being a hothead. He's not living out that life, that life of love for one another. And Jesus... Jesus gives him this this question. Now, I want you to focus on this. He says, will you lay down your life for me? And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will crow, will not crow, till you have denied me three times. Now, in the Passion narrative, as we go on to Good Friday, As Jesus is being put on trial by the Sanhedrin, what is happening is Peter goes along with others and they're trying to find out what's going on with Jesus. And people recognize Peter. See, remember what we were talking about? All the crowds coming to see Jesus and hear Jesus speak? Well, it wasn't just Jesus that was becoming famous. They recognized the apostles. They recognized what was going on. And they noticed. There are three people that notice Peter. And they're like, aren't you the one that's with the Nazarene? Aren't you the one that's with the carpenter? Aren't you the one with Jesus of Nazareth? And all three times, he's like, no, no, I don't know. No, no. Finally, on the third one, he's like, I don't know. You're crazy. And as that happens, he hears the rooster crow and it says he broke down because all of a sudden he realized that everything Jesus had said about him at this point 
is true. And he goes away and it says he's cursing. So he's swearing his head off because Jesus has shown him the truth. And when Jesus comes back and he's spending the last 40 days with them after he's been resurrected, he sits there and he brings Peter back into the fold. He's asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, I love you. Do you truly love me? Lord, you know everything. I love you. And then the final time he realizes what God is saying is, do you agape me, not do you philo me? In other words, in Greek, there are, there are three different uh, words for love. Agape, philo, and um, eros. Eros is, is romantic love, you know. Um, philo is brotherly love. Philadelphia gets its name from that. Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. And agape is the love God has for us, this unconditional love for us. And it's when Peter realizes what Jesus is saying and he says, you know all things, I love you, Lord. Jesus says, upon this truth I will build the church. It's not that he's going to build the church on Peter. A lot of people think that's what it means because he says on this rock. It's not on rock. Peter means rock. He's not saying I'm going to build the church on the rock. What he's saying is that fact that you know that I love you and that you can unconditionally love me, that is the cornerstone of what the church will be built on. And that's what happens. That's what happens from that point on. We are to be built on love. We are to be built on our love for God. The church is the people. And we are to love one another. We are to love our community. We are to show that love to people and bring those people in. Because we live in a dying, hurting world. We look at what goes on right now with school shootings. And we look at the, the mishap of the bridge this week. And we see all these people hurting. And what happens is there are, there are groups, there are church groups that go down there to minister to these people, to show them love, to show them what they are supposed to know. They're not sitting there bashing them over the head with the Bible. There are groups that will sit there and literally take the Bible and be up on soapboxes and, and be like, you're going to hell and you're going to hell and you're going to hell. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, love them. When you love them, you open them up to what I say here. Love is the greatest evangelism when you think of it. The thing is, we can let all the sarcasm, angst, hatred, mistrust, and other things get in the way of living out the commandment to love one another. But then, we also know that we can do it. As parents... Those that are parents here, you know you would lay your life down for your child. God did one even more unthinkable. He gave up his child for us. 
And he tested himself. He did this with Abram when he told Abram to sacrifice Isaac. And he stopped him. He knew how much Abram loved Isaac. And he was, Abraham was willing to take that place. But God saw that if this man could do that, then I will do that. So are you ready to love like Jesus? Are you ready to show love to people? Can you love your brothers and sisters here at First Sutton? Can you love them out in the world, out in Sutton, Webster, Douglas, Auburn, Oxford, Millbury, all the towns? How about our family members that drive us crazy? I know I've got a few. And I need to pray for strength every time it's the holidays and I know that they're coming over. But I still love them. How about that crazy coworker that has that weird habit that you just can't get used to? We all dealt with that, right? So where do we begin? Well, first, first pray. Ask God to give you a heart like his to love the people around you. That is, the most, that is one of the most fundamental, important points, is we should always be in prayer every day. The Bible tells us to pray constantly. So it's not just praying at 8 a.m. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's not that. It's to pray constantly. Because we're going to get into a point where we sit there and we go out and we're looking at what's going on in the world and we start to let all that angst build up into us and then we need to pump the brakes, stop, stand back and say, Father, show me how to love just like you. Second is to remember is to remember that as a Christian, people look to us. Maybe with unreal expectations. Everybody thinks that they know the Bible. Everybody says that they know the Bible. But it's really the application of the Bible that they, they don't understand. They read a certain portion, but they're not getting the full context of the Scripture. So they look at us with unreal expectations. But they're... they're they are judging God based on how we act towards ourselves and to others. So in other words, they're looking to us. They're looking to see. If they know that Scott is a member of a church and he's communicating with Rick, they're looking, and Rick is a member of a church, they're looking at them and saying, they say they're Christians, but they're talking about this person. They're talking about that person. And it turns them off to wanting to be part of the church, to be a Christ follower. So we have to remember that. We have to remember that they are looking at us and how we react in our lives, how we react every day shows that reflection of Christ to them. Third, because of Jesus' love for us and that he was willing to die for us, we must be willing to die to ourselves every day. 
Certain things we say and do based on our strong feelings can shut us off from our family and friends, can shut off our family and friends to Jesus. We must sometimes hold our tongue to keep people on the journey towards Jesus. You know, in this day and age, we look at all the strong feelings going on about gun rights. We look at all the strong feelings about certain social justice issues out there. And we can have an opinion of that, and we can voice that opinion. But at the same time, how we voice that opinion can be the difference between bringing somebody to Christ or not. I have a few friends. That's what they do. You go on Facebook, that's their feed. And they're like, if you don't like it, the heck with you. Delete me. And it's like, dude, you say you're a Christian. You're not showing that love. See, Christ would give his opinion about certain things. But it wasn't so much to say, you know, forget that. No. At that time, Rome had been just enslaving Judea to this point that the Roman soldiers would take advantage of the Jewish people. And they had this thing of, we can turn around and we can uh, do whatever we want. We can do whatever we like. One of the things that they would do is they would sit there and say, hey, you, grab my pack and follow me for a mile. That's what the Roman law was. If a soldier had a pack that was too heavy for him, he could take a citizen and tell them for a mile, walk with me carrying my pack. And Jesus turns around and he says, you know what? Don't just carry it for a mile. Carry it for two miles. We have to remember that Jesus up on the cross, the centurion, looks up at him, sees everything that's gone on, and he says, truly this was the Son of God. That was punishable by death, by the way, if you didn't know that. Because Roman, the Romans had their own gods. They had Zeus and Jupiter and Hera and Hades and a whole bunch of them. And they worshipped them. They were to worship the emperor as God. And here they are, they're putting Jesus to death. Pontius Pilate, the governor, turns around and he puts up on the cross a sign that says, here is the king of the Jews. That was punishable by death. God was pointing out that Jesus was God Jesus loved the world so much, it was shaking the very foundations of what was there. So, the takeaway, the application, begin praying every day for God to give you the love for everyone around, everybody that you can come in contact with. Remember that you are a Christian. You are a representative of God the Father. You are a holy child of God. 
And remember that because Jesus loved us, we have to put ourselves away. We have to die to ourselves. Putting away those personal feelings that we know can turn people off to hearing the message of God. We have to live more fully as Christians. I'm going to ask Scott and Bryson to come up and get ready with the last song. We're going to take the offering. I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. Father, I just ask that you would um, help us to live like you, to love like you. Father, open up pathways for us this week. Open our eyes up to those who are hurting, who need you, Father, who need to know you. Father, those that have been hurt by Christians in the past, Father, let us be able to show love for them like they've never experienced before. Help us to just be you, be your hands and feet to a world that is hurting and hurt and needs the sob of your love, Father. I pray, Father, that you will go with us as we leave today. Father, be with us. Father, I pray for the offering that you would just bless it and use it for your ministry here, Father. I pray that you would just give us a good week and bring us back safely next Sunday. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.